recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, August 24th, 2013. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. The Christogenia streams are back up. I'm going to give a quick rundown because of the current state of Christogenia.org. I'm going to give a quick rundown of, of where I am in rebuilding it. I should say that on, um, on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, my Internet service provider kind of skipped town, literally. I mean, they packed up, from what I understand, they packed up about three-quarters of their 1,000 servers and moved out of the company that was providing bandwidth and, and, and inter, internet connectivity and power and, and um, office space services to them. They moved out of there supposedly to another facility 20 miles away where it may be evident that they never showed up. That, that's all kind of strange. Their own website is still down, and the four servers that I had with that company are, well, they've basically disappeared from the Internet. I have no idea where they are. Um, I, I've been, well, well, I've been blessed with experience is what I've been blessed with. Last year, when one and one terminated my contracts, and I had to shut down four servers and, and move all my websites within 10 days, I think they gave me, I decided to split up all of my services to register all of my domains with one company to, to um, engineer all of my DNS services with another company and to use several companies for hosting. And luckily, I set up some you know, automated backup routines back then with two servers that I use for a few websites and, and mostly for backups. And that's the only reason why Christogenia and, and the other sites that I host are functioning at all today or, or will be functioning tomorrow. This morning, I received, last night, I received delivery on my first replacement server, and, and this afternoon, I re received delivery on the second. Christogenia and, and what I consider to be my main sites, not the sites that I host for others, are, are up. Christogenia, the Mindcom site, the Saxon Messenger site, three of my um, streaming radio stations are up. All five players work. All five players work. That's because I kind of cheated before the program and set up the other two to simply redirect to to, um, to the other servers. So, so all five players work, but it's really only three streams. Uh, I... Um, I have an obligation to Pastor Mark Downey and kinsmanredeemer.org, and that will be the next website that I put up. That should be restored probably the first thing tomorrow morning. I have an 80-gigabyte file transfer, from, and it's from Europe to California, so, so um, it, it's going to take a while to, to do that. Uh, I believe these new servers are in California. I'm not sure yet, to be honest with you. Now, the, um, the Christogenia subdomains, Chris Clifton Emmerheiser's site, the Compare site I have, the Swift site, the Dixie site, and, and the others, that they will all be up tomorrow. Christreich, they will all be up tomorrow. And, and um, I also host a site for Robert Balakias of Sacred Truth Ministries. That will be up tomorrow. 
kinsmanredeemer.com will be up. If not tonight, then first thing tomorrow. And, and that's the state of Christiania. And that's what happened to Christagenia.org Thursday evening What when all of my servers, well, well, one server went offline Wednesday evening and the other three went off Thursday evening, and poof, they were gone. Well, Bill, how about the one everyone's wondering about? How's my blog doing? Oh, your blog will be up tomorrow. Yeah, your blog will be up tomorrow with, with the other sub, subdomains. I'm sorry. It, it, it's going to take that long. Um, all, all of the subdomain sites will be up tomorrow, God willing. Yahweh willing, the technology's here. I have the equipment now, and and the tran file transfers are being done as I speak. So the company just absconded and left town. Yeah, they just picked up and left. That they were. Um, I've learned a lot about this company in the last couple of days. They were actually a company that leased both office and um, server rack space from BurstNet. And they also received their own, you know, every ISP has an ISP of its own until you get up to the top level and the big boys like Verizon and, and um, Comcast and, and companies like that. Well, well, every other company has its own ISPs. And Volume Drive, which was my company, what was um, hosted by BurstNet, and they, they leased space and, and connectivity from BurstNet. And um, what I know about Volume Drive is from two sources. First, Volume Drive itself, before the, the, the servers became unplugged, and then from a subsequent email that I received from BurstNet, who want my business, but I've already moved it elsewhere, and it's going to stay elsewhere. So, so that, that's what happened. My, my Internet service provider basically skipped on the rent. That's what they did. Just like a, a Puerto Rican tenement dwelling family, they skipped on the rent. Do you have any recourse against them? Well, well you know, there's a failure to provide services that were paid for, but, but it's like if you look at the, the raw value of the services they were providing for the balance of the month that was paid for, it, it's $300 maybe. Right, but then there's the inconvenience, the fact that they took your sites down, they've caused you to run around like a chicken with your head cut off, you're having to find alternatives. Well, right, but because Stegenia is not a business, I can never prove an economic loss. I can't prove, establish an economic loss. I don't have, Chris Stegenia isn't a business, right? I, I don't do sales transactions and things like that. If they've absconded with the money and they've left town, it's not just some businessman that failed a contract, it's a fraudster and good luck serving them. Well, right. The only thing I've done is put in complaints with PayPal so that there's complaints with PayPal, and hopefully this company will, will um, have problems with PayPal. I don't care about the money. But, well, I care about the money, but I don't think I'm going to give back. I'm not going to waste all my time fighting for a few hundred dollars. But, but um, I filed complaints with PayPal because I did not receive the services for which I've already paid based on that. So we'll see what happens, but hopefully other of their customers will do the same thing. PayPal will get the hint and, and, and will drop them as a client, right? We'll see. We'll see. I'm sorry. The company run by, who did this? It, it's a small company, but they've been around at least seven years, probably eight or nine. I, I mean, I haven't really dug that deeply, but, but I have found um, – chatter about this company and it wasn't all negative it, it was mixed like any other internet service provider 
I found chatter about this company on the internet dating back to 2007, I believe. So it's that they're not a, a brand new company. They've been around at, at least seven years. So who knows? So they just flaked out on a minute's notice, basically. Well, well, it seems to be that way. But Christogenia won't be down. I, I mean, we were down for 30 hours. The only reason why I was down for so long is because I was in uh, I was in Blue Ridge, Georgia, with Bruce Bond when, when it happened. So we, we were sitting on his front porch drinking a beer, and all, all my servers disappeared right before my eyes. So, so what, what can I say? Uh, I mean, I keep a tablet with me, and I keep tabs on all the servers I manage because I, man, uh, I have eight Christogenia servers. I had eight. And now I have six, including my backup servers. And, and um, I have two other servers that don't host um, Christogenia sites. They host other sites that, that I either manage for others, like fgcp.org, the Fellowship of God's Covenant People, the John 844 site, Christogenia.net, which has a chat where the chat server is. But they're with another company, right? I had my sites divided. So the sites with the other company were never affected, of course. Only the sites that were on Volume Drive, which happened to be most of the Christogenia.org sites. I chose Volume Drive because, well, well, for two reasons. First, they didn't have a lot of um, Jewish hate speech type literature language in, in their terms of, um, of service agreement, which is always a plus, right? And second, because they were they, they were affordable. I, I mean, it, it's it's um, servers on the internet can be quite expensive, right? So so now I'm paying for two servers, what more than I was paying for four servers with Volume Drive. But that's the way it is. But these are much bigger and 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 hopefully faster servers. So. It, it's you know whenever you do business with a company and and you're invested in a company it's a gamble that's the way it is I mean you buy a Chevrolet and you're hoping that Chevrolet did a good job building that car right I mean that's just the way it is so so it's always a gamble that there's no doubt so it's it's a minor inconvenience I mean it'll probably cost me a couple of thousand places in the Alexa ranking it, it cost me about two thousand visitors over three days I'm not worried I'm not gonna cry over that Christogeny is doing fine we've already bounced back we've already had about 600 visits today after being down for almost two days so uh, I'm not gonna worry about it it's, it's just a bump in the road and the information's all intact everything's fine on the site no contents lost well, well, hopefully no content will be lost except for about 12 hours worth of forum posts and emails, which, because the backup files are about 12 hours prior to the server going down, actually about eight hours. But, but that's fine. I, I mean, that's the way it is. Now, now, I'm saying all this, and I'm giving this review here because I've had several dozen requests via Skype and via email from my Gmail account, people that know me and know my Gmail email address because Christogenia mail is down, of course. It's back up now. But um, I'm doing this because I've had several dozen inquiries as to what's going on with my websites, and I can't answer them. I can't answer them. If I answered every one of those inquiries separately, well, well then I wouldn't have time to put my websites back together. So it's a one-man operation, right? That, that, that takes a lot of labor. So, so that's the state of Christogenia, kinsmanredeemer.com, 
of course, is not part of Christiania. I hosted for, for Pastor Downey. It'll be back up by morning at the latest. I, I was hoping much earlier for receipt of my second server, but I didn't get it until about 6 p.m. So I started the file transfers immediately, and I'll get up early tomorrow and, and get that going. If, if anybody wants to um, help me out, they, they they could pay me for their website development and hosting. That, that's what I could. What what I should. If, if anybody has a, a a website desire, aside from 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 the support that I normally get, that's just my suggestion. Okay, where we have tonight, we have. Um, I, I was, I've been really tied up, and I haven't been able to do any homework for this program, and I feel bad about that. It, it's just the way it is. I can only be in so many places. Today we have two speeches from Joseph Goebbels. Do you want to introduce them? All right. The first one is the R. Hitler speech, and Goebbels did this in 1933. It was the speech on Hitler's birthday, and typically he would give a speech every year on Hitler's birthday. This was the first speech. And it's worth noting that, of course, the National Socialist Party had only been in power since January of that year, so only several months. Do you have anything to add? Well, well, no, I don't, except that I just love Joseph Goebbels. I mean, I, um, you know, seeing his pictures... Yeah, you know, he's a little swarthy, he has brown hair, he's short, he's thin, he he, he had a, a lame leg, I believe. He he wasn't the ideal Aryan, right? I mean, and a lot of people look at Goebbels and say, oh, he's a Jew. I, I would never believe that Joseph Goebbels is a Jew. He's simply a brunette European, a, brun, a Germanic brunette European. He, when you read Goebbels' writing and his conviction and and the faith that he had that righteousness would prevail and, and that the German people w would be a moral society and, and a unified society in the face of world Jewry and stand against Satan, which is basically what National Socialist Germany was doing. It, it's, it, it's, nobody should doubt that the um, authenticity of, of Joseph Goebbels, the man, and um, his, his speeches, his conviction, and his Christian faith what were, um, should be an inspiration to all identity Christians, as well as Adolf Hitler's. And, and rectifying the history of this period it is, has always been the endeavor of my Mein Kampf project. And we should all, it's, it's, I can't understate the importance of understanding true history, not from the Jewish narrative. And, and um, once you understand the, the true history behind National Socialism, the rise of Adolf Hitler, and the Second World War, then you'll understand that they were fighting our fight, the fight that all identity Christians wish they could fight, the National Socialists actually fought. And yes, they lost. And that's why um, I believe in Daniel chapter 12, 
it says that in the last days, Michael, M Michael would stand up for, for his people, the great prince on behalf of his people. And, and at that time, there would be a time of trouble that has never been ever since there was a nation. Well, well Michael means who is like God. I um, give National Socialist Germany a lot of credit for the fight that they fought and, and for making a stand, but Adolf Hitler was not like God. Adolf Hitler is just a man. He wasn't Christ. And Germany, as noble as the National Socialist cause was, simply just wasn't meant to overcome the powers of Satan, world okay. Jewry. It just wasn't meant to happen their failure to understand that somebody who is one-fourth, one-eighth, one-sixteenth, one-thirty-second Jewish is still a Jew. You know, they had their little ranking system. They're, you know, half-breeds and quarters and what was acceptable and what was not. They, they didn't really make a clean sweep. Well, well, right. Not abiding the one-drop rule was their first big problem. Yes, that's absolutely true. That, that was their first big shortcoming. If they had made a clean sweep instead of making exemptions, you know, um, exceptions and giving exemptions to field marshals and generals and high officials who were married to Jews or married to half Jews, they should have kicked the spouses out, kicked the strange children out, and told the, you know, the mixers, well, you can either leave with them or be content to watch them leave. Well, well, that would be the right thing to do. However. But because of the extent of the race mixing that's occurred these last, um, especially, and, and it's occurred longer, and it's, it's been all through the medieval period, but especially these last 200 years, because of the extent of it, that's why only the angels of Yahweh himself can separate the wheat from the tares. That's why. Well, we just can't do it. I, I mean, no matter how we, we want to try, it just doesn't work. Right. But that doesn't mean we bring the tares into the city and we say, well, since we can't figure out who's a tear and who's not, we'll just bring these obvious tares into the city and we'll, we'll just sit here and accept them. Well, well right. You're absolutely right. But, and, and, and we should always um, take a stand against evil and, and against the enemies of Christ and, and Yahweh God that there's no doubt. But no matter how we feel that we can discern who is who, I mean, if the apostles couldn't do it in the first century, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we could do it. One of the things, as John records in his gospel, that the apostles marveled about what was the ability of Christ to determine the wheat from the tares. He knew, who was, he knew what was in man and did not need any man's testimony concerning that. So, so we, we like to think that we could always spot the tares amongst the wheat you know, half of identity Christianity can't even tell that Eli James is a damn Jew. And, and I didn't even want to mention him tonight, but now that you brought it up, I have to use the obvious example. That, you know, anybody that pretends to be one of us and, and come in amongst the, the, um, the group and, and attempt to subvert the doctrine, and, and, and I'm talking about the idea that bastards can be saved, the idea that God will, Yahweh God will judge bastards based on their behavior? You've got to be kidding me. Right, well, I was just thinking... And the, idea that he, that the idea that he expressed last week that mongrels should mix with whites more so that the mongrel genes would die out? You've got to be kidding me. 
You know, when you get somebody like that, and you can't tell him apart from the wheat. Well, yeah, we have a problem telling the wheat from the tares. We've always had it, and it's just as bad today as it always has been. Well, I was just thinking about a German general, Gothard Heinrich. Have you heard of him, Gothard Heinrich? Well, well, I've heard of several German generals that were actually one-fourth, one-eighth Jewish that were admitted into the the, the upper echelons of, of the Reich and, and should have never been there. Well, he wasn't Jewish himself, but he was married to a half-Jew. Their children were quarter Jews, and they had a German blood certificate. And he was the commander during the Battle of the Silo Heights, right, you know, um, east of Berlin, along the Oder River. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm wondering if he did his job and did you know um held those heights to the best of his ability, and he was just overcome, or if he, being a uh, in league with the Jews, let the Soviets overrun his forces. I don't know. I haven't studied the logistics of of the battle, so I could never tell you. Okay, Joseph Goebbels. We we have two um, Joseph Goebbels speeches tonight. And here is the first one. It's Goebbels' 1933 speech on Hitler's birthday. It's entitled, Our Hitler. Now, this would be his first birthday since the plebiscite. Am I wrong, or is it his second? His first. It's his first birthday. Okay. The newspapers today, and I'm quoting Joseph Goebbels, the newspapers today are filled with congratulations for Reich Chancellor Adolf Hitler, the nuances vary depending on the tone, character, and attitude of the newspaper. All, however, agree on one thing. Hitler is a man of stature who has already accomplished historically important deeds and faces still greater challenges. He is the kind of statesman found only rarely in Germany. During his lifetime, he has the good fortune not only to be appreciated and loved by the overwhelming majority of the German people, but even more importantly, to be understood by them. He is the only German politician of the post-war period who understood the situation and drew the necessary hard and firm conclusions. All the newspapers agree on this. It no longer needs to be said that he has taken up Bismarck's work and intends to complete it. There is enough proof for this of this even for those who do not believe or who think ill of him. I, therefore, do not think it necessary for me to discuss the historical significance and still unknown impact of this man on the eve of the day on which, far from the bustle of the Reich capital, Adolf Hitler completes his 44th year. I feel a much deeper need to personally express my esteem for him. And in doing so, I believe that I am speaking for many hundreds of thousands of national socialists throughout the country. We shall leave it to those who were our enemies only a few months ago and who then slandered then to praise him today with awkward words and embarrassing pathos. We know how little Adolf Hitler appreciates such attempts and how much more the devoted loyalty and lasting support of his friends and fellow fighters corresponds to his nature. 
the mysterious magic that he exerts on all who come in contact with him. Yet, you know, this is exactly what the Jews say, that, that um, how Adolf Hitler entranced the general population of Germany. He, he, demonic. He, he didn't win their, their, their hearts and minds with, with his ideas and his stand against evil. Rather, he, he, he deceived and entranced them. Well, well, now we see that, that the Jews just stole the idea from Joseph Goebbels, right? right? And, you know, it seems a lot of people today in America, in Germany, and throughout the white world, they have trouble accepting that his ideas, the theories that he articulated, they were just things that the German people were finally ready to accept because all throughout the 20s and the early 30s, the mainstream parties, the conservatives, the socialists, the social democrats, the radical leftists, all the traditional parties had an opportunity to do something to improve the lot of the German people, and they all spectacularly failed. So at that point, the Germans were ready to listen to Hitler and to give his ideas a try. Well, well they had to. What, what little choice did they had? Germany, as well as the rest of the, the West, was in the throes of the Depression. Germany was also enslaved not, not only un, under the decadence of the Weimar Republic, but they were enslaved to the international bankers as much as the, the, um, the rest of the West was. And Germany had that communist agitation in the background, and the German people knew what the, what the Bolsheviks had done to the Russian people, and, and they saw it coming, and they feared it. They, they had to. All of those factors together gave rise to Adolf Hitler. It was like the nuclear option. They had to do it. Right, but it wasn't as though he was some demonic beast. It took him, you know, 10 years of giving speeches and organizing, and the conditions had to be just right. Well, well, the, demo the demonic beasts are the bastards in, in the city of London and, and on Wall Street in New York who, who controlled Washington and, and, and Westminster and they're the demonic beasts and oppress the entire world. Right, these demonic finance lords in New York and commodity speculators in Chicago. And Adolf Hitler didn't mind naming them and telling us that it was the international Jewish capitalists who were enslaving Germany and the world. He was well... Aside from Jesus Christ and Henry Ford, he may have been the third man right. to, well, to you know, that's one thing the, 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 the great Satan. It particularly disgusts me when people trash talk Hitler, especially self-avowed white nationalists and identists, and they claim, oh, this person here is trying to uh, Nazify CI, or this person here, he's just a Nazi using CI as a cover. Well, what are they trying to do, Judaize CI? Well, well, absolutely. That would be the, that, that would be the opposition. The Novemberists. That, that's what Goebbels and Hitler called them. It isn't, it isn't that a quaint analogy? I'm not trying to Nazify CI. It's my attempt both on Christagenia.org, on my Saxon Messenger. I pray one day on my Dixie site. I just, you know, I, I was really ambitious when I started out with this four years ago. I still have the ambition, but I'm starting to realize that I can't really do everything. I, I would love to... Um, 
to, to use the Dixie site that I created and, and General Mosley ha, has contributed greatly to, I, I would love to use that site to tell the truth about the, the, the war of northern aggression and, and collect documents and, and, and put together programs concerning that. I, I just don't have the time, and, and I, I pray one day in the future I will. The, the Mein Kampf site and, and my other websites are all about one thing, telling the truth about, well, first, the scripture. That's christagenia.org. That, that's my endeavor there. And, and second, putting it into perspective with history, and that's important. If your religion and world history aren't in sync, if your religious beliefs, if your beliefs about the Bible aren't in cohesion with what's actually going on in the world, you've got a problem. Only Christian identity, only Christian identity does that. And that's my endeavor. Well, if people say you're trying to Nazify CI, what does that really mean? If you if you dig below the surface, scratch the surface, and get into it, what they're saying is that you've done a thorough study of history and realized that the Jewish version of World War II is false, and you're daring to expose that. Well, well, when I built the Mein Kampf project, I, I could have easily, you know, back then when when, when Christagenia was a much smaller website, I had a lot less work. You know, I I had um, twelve pages of Bible commentary and two podcasts on my website every week. Uh, and, and that's my, my pace has actually exceeded that a, a couple of years ago. Well, well um, I could have easily taken the material that I wanted to state about Adolf Hitler and National Socialist Germany and put it on Christagenia because back then the Mein Kampf site was a lot smaller. I chose to make a separate website for the Mein Kampf project because I understood that coming to an understanding about 20th century history is the last step to being there. There are a lot of people in Christian identity who claim to be Christian identity, who claim to understand even to sea line, who claim to understand the Bible, and who still accept the Jewish paradigm concerning 20th century history, who still think that Roosevelt and Churchill were the good guys and Adolf Hitler and Goebbels and, and those people were evil demons. They have basically, even though they claim to know the truth, they're basically still drinking the Jewish Kool-Aid. It's important to the understanding of our people to understand properly all history, not only 20th century history, however, 20th century history, and, and what I mean by that is World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, why those wars happened, the Bolshevik Revolution, why over 100 million people, most of them white Christians in Europe, died in those wars and, and in those oppressions over a period of about 40 years? Why did that happen? Why did 100 million Christians die? Who was behind it? Why were they behind it? What's God's role in this? Why is this happening to us? All of that is of the utmost importance to the understanding of our people. Because it can sure as hell happen again, and I can't rule it out. I just wrote um, two essays, No Safe Haven and Stripped Bare and Naked. 
we did we presented Russia number one and and the um the British diplomatic reports from the Bolshevik Revolution, and we saw a lot of the same things, only to a greater extreme, that we see in U.S. and British government policy today with the regulation of who lives where and, and, and the enforcement of diversity. Another thing we saw in the Bolshevik Revolution was that the Bolsheviks used Mongols, Lithuanians, Latvians, they used alien people, even though some of them were white people, they used alien people against the native white Russian Christian population. It's the same game plan that the U.S. government is foisting upon American citizens today. It's the same game plan all over again. It just has a different facade, and people don't see it. And the major reason why people don't see it is because they don't know that's what happened in Europe a hundred years ago. If they understood the history of Europe a hundred years ago, well, well, over that first half of the 20th century, then more people would see what's going on in America today. Many more people would. This history is suppressed so that people don't see it coming. Only a fool would tell a Christian that he doesn't need to understand history and a proper perspective upon it. Should I continue with the second paragraph of Joseph Goebbels' speech? The mysterious magic that he exerts on all who come in contact with him cannot alone explain his historic personality. There is more that makes us love and esteem him. Through all the ups and downs of Adolf Hitler's career, from the beginning of his political activity to the crowning of his career as he seized power, he has always remained the same, a person among people a friend to his comrades, an eager supporter of every ability and talent. He is a pathfinder for those who devoted themselves to his idea, a man who conquered the hearts of his comrades in the midst of a battle and never released them. But let me comment on, on that an eager, eager supporter of every ability and talent. That's, that, that role is, is typical of the good Christian seeking to edify the body of Christ, where, where when we see our brethren but with certain talents and abilities, we seek to assist them in the deployment of those talents and abilities. We do not seek to step on them and suppress them, fearing that they may um, eclipse us and shine brighter. But we, sh- we should encourage our brethren who have varied and greater talents and abilities than us, or, or, or varied meaning 
talents and abilities that we ourselves really don't have, even though we would like to. And, and, and that, all of these traits, Adolf Hitler, if you really inspect the man as well as his professions, he, he was an exemplary Christian. Paragraph 3. It seems to me that one thing has to be said in the midst of the profusion of feelings. Only a few know Hitler well. Most of the millions who look to him with faithful trust do so from a distance. He has become to them a symbol of their faith in the future. Normally, the great men that we admire from a distance lose their magic when one knows them well. With Hitler, the opposite is true. The longer one knows him, the more one admires him, and the more one is ready to give oneself fully to his cause. We will let others blow the trumpets. His friends and comrades gather around him to shake his hand and thank him for everything that he is to us and that he has given to us. Let me say it once more. We love this man, and we know that he has earned all of our love and support. Never was a man more unjustly accused by the hate and slanders of his ill-wishers of other parties. Remember what they said about him, a mishmash of contradictory accusations. They did not fail to accuse him of every sin, to deny him every virtue. when he nonetheless overcame in the end the flood of lies, triumphing over his enemies and raising the Nationalist Socialist flag over Germany. Fate showed its favor toward him to the entire world. It raised him from the mass of people and put him in the place he deserved because of his brilliant gifts and his pure and flawless humanity. Well, I remember the years. Well, the idea of contradictory accusations, I, I don't want to turn this into a program other than what the main topic is supposed to be, but in the last few weeks, there's a particular Jew in Chicago, one of your main detractors. He's at the same time said that Clifton is a senile old man, yet he's cunning, calculating, cold and cruel, and he's plotting and scheming. So there you have it, contradictory accusations. And, and you're <laughs> senile, be cunning and, 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 and calculating. And, and then you, you're a Jew in one instance, but then you're a race traitor two sentences later, and three sentences later you're a white man who hates your brothers. Well, well you know, that's true in, in, in basically any situation su such as this where, where you have people vying for attention, vying to get their ideas out, who who are promoting ideas which they think are, are the ideas that people should follow, and and people start accusing each other or, or accusing anyone in particular, they'll throw any slander they can at that man to discredit him, and that's where the contradictory accusations come in, and it happens all the time in all facets of life. Right. Well, I, I try and keep my accusations grounded in fact, and there has to be some basis for the accusation. Well, well, right, absolutely, a absolutely. Well, when, when when we did a um, a podcast entitled Eli, "The Universalism of Eli James," we used five of his own um, statements, lengthy statements, unmistakably un unmistakably in context to to demonstrate that because right. 
accusations need two or three witnesses. They need, you, you need, if you're going to make an accusation, you need two or three witnesses, and they have to be reliable, solid witnesses. They, they can't just be um, stories made up from the possibility of circumstances and, and things like that. And, and that's, people should see that. And, and it's a shame that more people don't actually look at that because most people make their decisions based on their emotions. And it's really hard to overcome emotions and get somebody to look at the facts, especially when one of those emotions is pride. Absolutely. I remember, going back to Joseph Goebbels, I remember the years when, just released from prison, he began to rebuild his party. Remember, the National Socialist Party did exist before he went to Landsberg, right? We passed a few wonderful vacation days with him on his beloved Obersalzberg High above Berchtesgaden. I'm probably destroying the German. I apologize. Below us was the quiet cemetery where his unforgettable friend, Dietrich Eckert, is buried. Now, now Hitler had high hopes for Dietrich Eckert, didn't he? I think so, He was grooming him as his one-day replacement, I believe. We walked through the mountains, discussed plans for the future, and talked about theories that today have long since become reality. He then sent me to Berlin... I don't know if he would have been grooming him as a replacement because Eckert was 30 years older than Hitler. Was he that? Was he? I had the impression he was a younger man. I'm sorry. I apologize. He was born before Germany unified. Wow. Okay. I'm so, I thought he was a younger man. I, I may have him confused with somebody else. We walked through the mountains, discussed plans for the future, and talked about theories that today have long since become reality. He then sent me to Berlin. He gave me a difficult and challenging task, and I still thank him today that he gave me the job. A few months later, we sat in a room in a small Berlin hotel. The party had just been banned by the Marxist Jewish police department. Heavy blows were falling on it. The party was full of discouragement, bickering, and quarreling. Everyone was complaining about everyone else. The whole organization seemed to have given up. And this is an exemplary situation. And what we could never, Christian identity can never have any um, unity as a movement. Forget about Christian identity as a movement. It's never going to be a movement. For every Christian identity pastor, that there's 5,000 different um, beliefs that, that they espouse and chastise and, and look down on everyone else, whether those beliefs are founded in Scripture or not. It, it's crazy. And, and imagine pressure on Christian identity like the, the, the National Socialists were getting pressure from the Marxists and Jews in the Weimar government. It would never make it as a movement. It's not supposed to be a movement because only Joshua Christ can save us. That, that's what we're supposed to learn from the Bible. That's what we're supposed to learn from our history in concert with prophecy and scripture. That, that's the lesson for us. Our people rejected Yahweh as king in the days of Samuel. 
So, so Saul of Kish was appointed king. And we've had nothing but bad leaders ever since. I, I mean, that's the way it is. That, that's the Bible lesson. We're, we're going to be punished until we finally accept, repent, and accept Yahweh as king once again in the person of Yahshua Christ. So we're never going to be successful as a movement. What we have to be successful at is awakening people up to a need for repentance and instruction of who they are and why it's important to repent. The only valid Christian ministry today, and I said this in the introduction to a program on Acts several weeks ago, and it's posted in the Christagenia Forum under the Christian Identity Direction section, the only valid Christian ministry today is the Elijah ministry, according to the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4. That's the only valid ministry. Turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the the, the children to the fathers. Well, which is what identity Christianity endeavors to do, or should endeavor to do, in, in its proper and pure form. To return to Joseph Goebbels, at a time when um, the National Socialist Party was, well, National Socialism was being oppressed, and he says that everyone, the party was full of discouragement, bickering, and quarreling. Everyone was complaining about everyone else. The whole organization seemed to have given up. Hitler, however, did not lose courage, but immediately began to organize a defense and helped out where he was needed. Although he had his own personal and political difficulties, he found the time and strength to deal with the problems and support his friends in the Reich capital. One of his fine and noble traits is that he never gives up on someone who has won his confidence. The more his political opponents attack such a person, the more loyal is Adolf Hitler's support. He is not the kind of person who is afraid of strong associates. Most men who pretend to be leaders don't like strong associates. That's, that, that's true in, in, in nearly all the instances I could think of. The harder and tougher a man is, the more Hitler likes him. If things fall apart, his capable hands put them together again. Who would have thought it possible that a mass organization that includes literally everything could be built in this nation of individualists. Doing that is Hitler's great accomplishment. His principles are firm and unshakable, but he is generous and understanding toward human weaknesses. He is a pitiless enemy of his opponents, but a good and warm-hearted friend to his comrades. That is Hitler. This is the example that every Christian identity leader needs to follow. We saw him at the party's two large Nuremberg rallies, surrounded by the masses who saw in him Germany's hope. In the evenings, we sat with him in his hotel room. He was dressed in a simple brown shirt, the same as always, as if nothing had happened. Someone once said that the great is simple, and the simple is great. If that is true, it surely applies to Hitler. His nature and his whole philosophy 
is a brilliant simplification of the spiritual need and fragmentation that engulfed the German people after the war. He found the lowest common denominator. That is why his idea won. He modeled it, and through him, the average man in the street saw its depth and significance. One has to have seen him in defeat as well as victory to understand what sort of man he is. He never broke. He never lost courage or faith. He actually wrote Mein Kampf in prison, right? Hundreds came to him seeking a new hope, and no one left without receiving renewed strength. On the day before, August 13, 1932, we met in a small farmhouse outside Potsdam. We talked deep into the night, but not about our prospects for the next day, but rather about music, philosophy, and worldview issues. Brian, would you like to exemplify that or, or present the importance of that date? The 13th of August, 1932. Then came the experiences one can only have with him. He spoke of the difficult years of his youth in Vienna and Munich, of his war experiences, of his first years of the party. Bill, yes. I believe August 1932, wasn't there an election in Germany at that time? I, I believe so, yes. Is that the one where the um, National Socialists did their best showing? I believe that was when they... They ended up with around 200 seats, wasn't it? They were the, the largest party in Germany. Oh, wait, that was at the November election. So in August, they, they might have been discussing the upcoming election. In July, they had, for the first time, they'd become the largest party in Germany. They'd gained 123 seats. They had 230 seats altogether, and that was in July so in August, they would have been talking about the recent victory and getting ready for an upcoming election. So now, as of August, they were larger than the Social Democrats and the Communists combined. Okay. They were on a roll. Right. They were the, the single largest party in Germany, almost 38% of the um, the Reichstag. But still, they, they didn't have a, a full majority, you know, because Germany at the time was just a series of competing parties and governments had to either use coalitions or they just used decrees. You know, the the Reich's chancellor would just rule by decree. Few know how hard and bitterly he had to fight. Today he is surrounded by praise and thanks. Only 15 years ago he was a lonely individual among millions. The only difference between him and they was his burning faith and his fanatic resolve to transform that faith into action. Those who believed that Hitler was finished after the party's defeat in November 1932 failed to understand him. Only someone who did not know him at all could make such a mistake. Hitler is one of those persons who rises from his defeats. Frederick Nietzsche's phrase fits him well. That which does not destroy me only makes me stronger. Well, you know, I don't know if I want to call that a defeat. They still had 196 seats. The next largest party were the Social Democrats with about 120. Well, well I think that, that they considered it a defeat because they had, had, had hoped to, um, to take the government by themselves, right? Right. 
but it wasn't as though they were out. You know, they were still the single largest party in Germany. Right, but they were itching to get into power. And, and being the largest party in Germany, they really wanted um, total control, which only becomes with 50% of the seats. What were the majority of, of one party, right? What Without having to wheel and deal with, with other parties in order to put together a coalition, which always requires compromise. This man, suffering under financial and party problems for years, assailed by the flood of lies from his enemies, wounded in the depths of his heart by the disloyalty of false friends, still found the limitless faith to lift his party from desperation to new victories. How many thousands of kilometers have I sat behind him in cars or airplanes on election campaigns? How often did I see the thankful look of a man on the street or a mother lifting her child to show him. And how often have I seen joy and happiness when people recognized him. He kept his pockets filled with packages of cigarettes, each one, each with a one or two mark coin. Every working lad he met got one. He had a friendly word for every mother and a warm handshake for every child. That, that's, that, that political trick is as old as time, right? Not without reason does the German youth admire him. They know that this man is young at heart and that their cause is in his good hands. Last Easter Monday, we sat with him in his small house on the Obersalzburg. A group of young hypers, hikers from Braunau, where he was born, came by for a visit. How surprised these lads were when they got not only a friendly greeting, but all 15 lads were invited in. They got hurriedly, I'm sorry, they got a hurriedly prepared lunch and had to tell him about his hometown of Brownau. Uh, I'm probably mispronunciating that. Brownau. The people have a fine sense for the truly great. Nothing oppresses the people as deeply as when a person truly belongs to his people. Of whom but Hitler could this be true? As he returned from Berchtesgaden to Munich, people waved in every village. They sh- the children shouted Heil and threw bouquets of flowers into the car. The SA had closed the road in Tronstein. There was no moving either forward or back. Confidently and matter-of-factly, the SA Führer walked up to the car and said, My Führer, an old party member is dying in a hospital, and his last wish is to see his Führer. Mountains of work were waiting in Munich, but Hitler ordered the car to turn around and sat for half an hour in a hospital at the bedside of his dying party comrade. The Marxist press claimed he was a tyrant who dominated his satraps. What is he really? So, can you imagine Stalin sitting at someone's bedside for half an hour? He'd probably be the one who poisoned the guy and put him in the hospital. Well, well, right, exactly. The Marxist press claimed that he was a tyrant who dominated his satraps. Satrapy is that satrap? That's the old Persian word from the Bible for, for a um, a province. What is he really? He is the best friend of his comrades. He has an open heart for every sorrow and every need. He has human understanding. 
He knows each of his associates thoroughly, and nothing happens in their public or private lives of which he is not aware. If misfortune happens, he helps them to bear it and rejoices more than anyone else at their successes. Never have I seen his two sides in anyone else. We had dinner together on the night of the Reichstag fire. He wasn't in the back of the Reichstag lighting it, right? We talked and listened to music. Hitler was a person among people. Twenty minutes later, he stood in the smoldering, smoking ruins of the Reichstag building and gave piercing orders that led to the destruction of communism. Later, he sat in an editorial office and dictated an article. And the Reichstag's fire was assuredly set by communists. Well, you know, Bill, they found a Dutch communist, Marinus van der Lubbe. He was a council communist, an unemployed bricklayer. He had recently arrived in Germany. He admitted he was there for political agitation. And he had a record for arson in the Netherlands. So you, you tell me he was found inside the building trying to get out after the fire started. Right. I forget his name. I think it was Fred Blahut, B-L-A-H-U-T or well, something. I said Marinus van der Lubbe. No, 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 I'm talking about a writer who wrote a pretty good article on a Reichstag fire oh, okay. in the, for the Barnes Review maybe eight or ten years ago. I should dig it out, and, and we should talk about it one night. Right. You know, the, the, um, even on the conservative side, people in our movement always talk about the, the false flag, burn the Reichstag, burn the Reichstag. The Alex Jones types never shut up about it. And, well, well, it's always the Jews and, and the people that drink the Jewish Kool-Aid that buy the, the Jewish paradigm of 20th century history and repeat it. Those are the people who blame the National Socialists for setting a Reichstag fire. There's no doubt. And, and so if somebody claims to be a, a, a white nationalist, if somebody claims to be pro-white and they're saying that Hitler set the Reichstag fire... That they're either a stooge or an infiltrator. Or they're stupid beyond belief. Well, well stooge, that, that fits. For those who do not know Hitler, it seems a miracle that millions of people love and support him. For those who know him, it is only natural. The secret of his success is the indescribable magic of his personality. Those who know him the best love and honor him the most. One who has sworn allegiance to him is devoted to him body and soul. I thought it was necessary to say that and to have it said by someone who really knows him and who could find the courage to break through the barriers of reserve and speak of Hitler the man. Today, he has left the bustle of the capital. He has left the wreaths and hymns of praise in Berlin. He is somewhere in his beloved Bavaria, a real Bavarian, far from the noise of the streets, to find peace and quiet. Perhaps in a nearby room, someone will turn on a loudspeaker. If that should happen, then let me say to him and to all of Germany, my Führer, Millions and millions of the best Germans send you their best wishes and give you their hearts. And we, your closest associates and friends, are gathered in honor and love. We know how little you like praise. But we must still say this. You have lifted Germany from its deepest disgrace 
to honor and dignity. You should know that behind you, and if necessary, before you, a strong and determined group of fighters stands that is ready at any time to give it all for you and your idea. We wish both for your sake and ours that fate will preserve you for many decades and that you may always remain our best friend and comrade. This is the wish of your fellow fighters and friends for your birthday. We offer you our hands and ask that you always remain for us what you are today, our Hitler. That's the end of Joseph Goebbels' 1933 Adolf Hitler's birthday speech, ostensibly given on April 20th, right? Absolutely. And we don't see politicians in the West getting any sort of genuine, sincere praise. It's all sheepish drivel hurled upon them by some sycophant, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, and it's it's borderline idolatry or outright idolatry, calling Barack Obama the one. Well, well, right. Goebbels wasn't really. Um, well, well, I mean, he was putting Hitler Hitler on the pedestal. There's no doubt. It, it was for political reasons, as much as anything, in in order to attempt, as Goebbels always did, to unify the nation behind common concepts. How, however. He he really only illustrated Hitler's exemplary character and explained why German people loved him. That it's that simple. That that's the core of the speech and the purpose for it. Absolutely. Shall I begin the 1934 New Year's speech? This is a speech that Goebbels gave. It's his annual speech on New Year's Eve in which he reviewed the old year and would make predictions for the new one. This is the first of the series. He looks back on the first year of National Socialism and declares the revolution over. The New Year, 1934. My fellow German citizens, my goal is not to add a bitter taste to the holiday's festive glass of cheer. I believe that every level and class of the German people has reason to celebrate today with confidence. There is no reason to be moderate. We Germans, over the last 20 years, have had too much pain, sorrow, and disappointment to run the risk of overdosing our celebration. A bit of pain is behind all our joy, and the cheer with which we look back on the past year and forward to the coming one is filled with earnestness and proud manliness. But now we raise our hearts and see with satisfaction that a year of success is behind us, and that the blessing of heaven has fallen on the German people. Our whole hearts rejoice. It is a kind of joy that looks back with pride on what has been accomplished, and that gives strength for new plans and decisions. The powerful movement that has seized the entire German people in the past year is a movement of life that is filled with a firm and faithful optimism that gives endurance and strength. We Germans have once more learned to love life in all its splendor, we affirm it and accept all its demands, even if they be hard and pitiless. National Socialism affirms life. It does not deny it. We draw from it the joyful strength that so wonderfully fills us in the last hours of the passing year. And with the mention of optimism and loving life in all its splendor, keep in mind that the year before the National Socialist Center Hitler came to power, 1932, about 300,000 people in Germany committed suicide. 
because they saw no hope. They saw no end to the despair. And that's about one half of 1% of the population. And by comparison, in America that year, about 23,000 people committed suicide. But if the same percentage had taken their own lives, there would have been about half a million to 600,000 suicides in America that year. And that's pretty much unbelievable, isn't it, Bill? It's hard to fathom a situation so bad that 300,000 people take their own lives in one year. Well, well, right. That is hard to fathom. 300,000 out of the small German population, what, 60, 70 million? Right, about 65 million. So, so it, it's, um, yeah, it's hard to fathom. I don't think that many Wall Street bankers took their lives in 1929. We'd all be in better shape today. And Hitler was giving a speech, too, because a lot of the Catholics, you know, they thought suicide was a mortal sin. He was explaining that these are not bad people. The decisions they've made to end their lives were very hard decisions, and it's not to be taken lightly. And he said that they were casualties of the Jewish finance lords who destroyed everything they had worked for and gave them no choice, no, no way out, no hope. And that the Jews were the blame for robbing them of all hope in life. Well, well, you know, the National Socialists were the solution to that before Hitler went to Landsberg. Uh, I mean, people, if they don't stand up for their beliefs and for righteousness, desperation and, and suicide, if you don't put your hope, you know, reading a lot of Joseph Goebbels and Adolf Hitler's speeches, they had a sincere hope in God that they being on the side of right would prevail. Now, now, it wasn't in the cards, and there's a million reasons why it wasn't in the cards, and they're all found in the Bible. However, to have that hope in God and to work towards um, righteousness and, and, and to seek to, to accomplish what is right and, and, and to effect that in the world and in your nation, that's a true and noble Christian endeavor. And, and without that anchor in the faith, you're never going to be able to accomplish that endeavor. You're, you're, um, excuse me, you're never going to get anywhere. And, and that's, you know, that's what leads to suicide. If Christians put their hearts and their hopes in, in their God and their Christ, that, then the possibility of suicide it is it is out of the question because you can't affect the will of God in the world and and be used as a um, a tool by your God to affect His will without that Christian foundation and and, and once you have that Christian foundation, suicide's out of the question. You may die for your cause, but it won't be by your own hand. So, so that's the lack of a spiritual foundation in, in Germany, and, and and Europe is um, it, it's coming in America, but but Europe is, has been way ahead of the curve o over the other Americans and, and even the other white nations in in the abandonment of Christianity and Christian beliefs and principles. So we might say they're spiritually dead over there. It's yeah, Well, yes, I believe so. Christianity is practically dead everywhere in Europe. E even mainstream Christianity. I don't. I, I don't. Um, I don't blame people for forsaking 
the, the Catholic Church and, and the major Protestant sects, but, but to forsake God altogether and, and the belief in a God and, and it is to actually surrender yourself to the enemies of God who, who are the international Jews, who, who Adolf Hitler was identifying 100 years ago while he himself had a very strong faith in God. So, so that, to me, is what leads to suicide. It's the abandonment of, of Christian faith and the denial of God. And you may be better off committing suicide, in my opinion. No one is left out. It fills the festive streets of the great cities and the lonely alleys and paths of our German villages. It fills huts and palaces, the rich and the poor. It fills the heart of the lonely wanderer who greets the new year in the snow-capped and towering mountains, or those who are part of the crowds on Berlin's Unter den Lindens. It was a blessed year. The German people found themselves once more and regained a hope that lets them look confidently into the coming year. What a difference from the New Year's Eve of a year ago. Then the Reich stood before the abyss. The people were torn by hatred and civil war. The parties and the government lacked the strength even to recognize the catastrophe, much less to deal with it. Collapse and desperation were rising wherever one looked, and the specter of Bolshevism was everywhere. But today, the Reich is once more strong and powerful, the people more united and firm than ever before, led by a strong hand who is dealing with the problems we face. Where once there was hopelessness and despair, today a whole nation is filled with faithful devotion. A year of unprecedented victories and triumphs is behind us. What 12 months ago seemed the product of an overactive imagination has become reality. The flags of national renewal fly over the Reich, and a revolution of vast extent has captured the German people and given them back their true nature. There were probably only a few last 30th January when the great transformation began who imagined that a new era of German history was beginning, and that within a year the revolution would be over. Remember, 21 March, 1 May, the unforgettable days in Nuremberg, 1st October, and the 12th of November, a wonderful transformation unified the nation, one that future generations will scarcely be able to comprehend. They will judge the year 1933. It will go down in history as the year... The German nation finally broke free of its 2,000 years of misery. And it's sad today that people who are alive solely due to the fact that the National Socialists restored Germany to sanity and a semblance of order, given you know what they'd experienced in Weimar, these people who never would have been born if Hitler hadn't turned things around in the 30s and kept their parents from committing suicide, put people back to work, that they, their children, and their grandchildren are spitting on the National Socialist Party. when They wouldn't even exist if it hadn't been for the National Socialist Party. Well, well absolutely. And, and Germany was really, if you look at German history over 2,000 years, it, it has a few high points. Um, Hermann in the Tudorberg Forest destroyed two legions of Romans. I mean, that was a high point that, that was used for centuries to come and still is used, well, until recently, as a call to courage on the, on, of the German people. But the, um, the reign of Otto I, the Saxon, what was a high point in German 
three? That was three le- three legions that were destroyed, I believe. The seventeenth, okay. the eighteenth, I think, and the nineteenth. Okay, it, it, I may be wrong. I'm probably wrong. It was probably three. Uh, I know it was plural. The the, um, the 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 reign of Otto I the Saxon, what was a high point in German history. Frederick Barbarossa was perhaps, um, depending on your perspective, a high point in German history. He was nevertheless revered by later Germans, including Adolf Hitler. That the um, Teutonic Knights and the Sword Brethren. Right, but but for the most part, Germany was divided. It was fragmented into principalities. It was fought over. Um, the, the French and the Russians were, were and, and the Slavs, the, the Slavic people in, in general, uh, I mean, Otto I was famous for repelling the Slavs and, and, and repelling them from, from Saxony. That the, the Germans were always trounced upon and, and trampled down, and, and most often by segments of their own people, such as the Franks, you know, the it, it, it was always uh, a unified Germany was Adolf Hitler's dream because a Germany that could finally be unified could could exist and 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 be sustainable. What were a Germany that was fragmented and always fighting against itself? The Thirty Years' War was a, a horrendous episode. A Germany that 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 in in that condition what would continue to be beaten down and destroyed and, and fragmented and, and, and German white man battling against white man, Saxon against Saxon. And, and that's what it took to destroy Adolf Hitler's Germany. What was nations full of white whores plying the wishes of the Jew. And, right. and that's what America and Britain were in, in, from 1940 to 1945, no doubt. Well, in another speech Hitler was giving, he pointed out that a Germany comprised of, you know, 200 principalities, none more than, you know, 50 or 100,000 or 200,000 people can be easily exploited and each principality can be set against another and that such a Germany would never be able to accomplish anything or demand its rights and uphold its dignity and its borders. And that's what what went on for for a great portion of the 2,000 years that Joseph Goebbels cites here. You know the Romans. The, the Romans were buying off German chieftains and, and settling them on on the west side of the Rhine, where the land, where the climate was better, where the land was better, the land was more arable, that the, the um, conditions made for easier living, and, and they were buying off German chieftains. They bought off Hermann's brother, and I believe an uncle. And they did. They were very effective at doing that, and and using them in turn against the Germans east of the Rhine and north of the Danube, who they really wanted to conquer, but were never able to do so. So, so it, it's always been about division, and and, and about um, individualism. At, at the noble, the level of the noble classes and the, and the tribal chieftains, who, who were easily bought off with, with their, for their own greed, with, with lucre, and, and it's always been like that. That that's the that's the punishment of the children of Israel. There's no doubt. Where Adolf Hitler sought not only a unified Germany, but also peaceful ties with England based upon ties of blood. And and that was what he sought with England, and he sought it diligently. And, and he was rebuffed at every turn, and he couldn't understand why. 
Because blood is, well, it's thicker than water, but it's not thicker than gold, I guess. All right. So Germany has, for the most part, suffered 2,000 years of misery when you look at its entire history. And it's still suffering misery now. It's run by people who destroy all the monuments to the National Socialist martyrs, and now they're erecting monuments to the traitors who set bombs to kill the commanders of their own nation. Well, well, right, but it's all part of the punishment of our people for rejecting Yahweh our God as king. What an astonishing collection of significant political, cultural, and economic events marked this year of German awakening. It finally destroyed the Marxist nonsense that had tortured the German people for six decades, condemning them to political impotence. Well, the sad thing here is an aside. They basically gave a pardon pretty much to all the Marxist agitators. They let a lot of them leave, or they just sent some of them to camps. If Hitler was half as bloody as he's been made out to be, there wouldn't have been anybody left after the war to form an East German government because all the German communists would have been killed in 1933. Have you ever thought about that, Bill? I'm sorry, will you repeat that? If Hitler had been half as bloody as the historians today would like us to believe, right, they, would have killed, they would have killed anybody with leftist leanings in 1933-34, and there wouldn't have been anybody left to form an East German communist government after the war because they'd have been dead. Yeah, you know, they love to point out the Night of the Long Knives as, as signs of, of Hitler's bloodthirstiness, but it's the only example that they have. But it's the you, only example that they have. They, they don't... You know, Stalin's regime and, and, and the Bolshevik regimes before him were filled with purges of, of, of all their political competitors, even political per competitors from their own philosophical persuasions. Well, you know, the Night of the Long Knives, they think maybe about 200 people were rounded up and killed. 200 people, that, that's just a, a slow night in Moscow under Stalin. That's a very that, that's a slow night on one street in 1917. I mean that that works out to about 73,000 people a year. They were killing at least two or three hundred thousand a year in the Soviet Union. Two hundred a night. That might be the the people in one district of Moscow who were getting deported to a gulag. Right. 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 It's ridiculous. But but that's the power of Jewish propaganda and the Jewish media. That they could take this night of the long knives and, and make it stick as, as a sign of Hitler's bloodthirstiness against his own people when it, when it was a drop in the bucket compared to right. one year under the Soviet regime from 1917 to 1940. And there's substantial evidence that Rome was planning a coup. Absolutely. And, and, and well, right, Rome had to go. He had to go. Well, you know, well, the, revolu the revolution well, was over, and he, he kept talking about taking over land, communalizing farms, collectivization, confiscating assets. He didn't understand the street violence is over, the revolution's over. He just he just he wasn't a man cut out for peace. Right. Plus, plus he he wanted the essay that he was in, you know, was was the commander of to to replace the Wehrmacht, and he, he had a lot of ridiculous ideas about that and. 
Hitler knew it, it, it just wasn't, well, well, it wasn't a wise decision. And anyway, it was ridiculous. So it, it's, there were a lot of problems with Rome. We'll discuss the Night of the Long Knives one night at length. All right. Well, I just wanted to say basically every night in the Soviet Union was the Night of the Long Knives. Well, right. Continuing, only a year ago, it threatened the Reich, ready at any moment to seize power, referring, of course, to communism. Today, we know of it only through stories. It was replaced by the idea of a true community of the people that was not the empty theory of a meeting hall, but rather step-by-step and piece-by-piece became a total and happy reality. The socialism that we preached for years found its living expression in the active participation of all Germans perhaps the most wonderful and exciting event of the past year. Twelve months ago, the parties carried on their nonsense in the parliaments. Government crisis followed crisis, and the fate of the Reich was determined by special interests that used the holy idea of Germany only for their party's benefit. This contemptible parliamentarianism, whose only Christmas gift to the people was the collapse of a cabinet, is gone. The German people overwhelmingly the German people overwhelmingly has affirmed one man and one idea. A movement fully aware of its responsibility governs the Reich. The people itself, however, could not support the new regime any more strongly than it does. People, state, and nation have become one, and the strong will of the Fuhrer is over us all. I'm reminded of the video footage from 12 March 1938, when the um, German military marched into Austria for the Anschluss. At the same time, the Austrian military marched into Germany and then came back into Austria to show that it was um, a consensual merger, that Germany was not annexing Austria. So at the same time the German army crossed the frontier into Austria, the Austrians crossed into Germany. And when Hitler entered Vienna, there were 300,000 people screaming, Ein Reich, Ein Volk, Ein Führer. I, I suppose, though, there must have been Gestapo men and SS men off the screen pointing rifles at him and holding up signs telling them to scream and applaud. That's hmm. what the, the Jew historians would have us believe. And the Austrians today, they claim that they were the first victim of Hitler's aggression, that they were annexed. And they've all drank the Jewish Kool-Aid, right? The Austria loved to be annexed to Germany. It, it saved Austria to be annexed to Germany. It pulled them out of the clutches of the Jewish international bankers. It pulled them out of the throes of the Depression. Hitler saved Austria. Well, you know, I have original footage from 1938. They're shouting, Ein Reich, Ein Volk, Ein Führer. And they're right. marching down the streets. And it wasn't an Obama rent-a-mob. Right. Right, absolutely. The eternal quarreling, particularism that threatened the Reich has been overthrown. Germany once more stands before the world as an unshakable unity, and no one inside or outside of our borders is able to damage the interests of the German nation by using some kind of group within the Reich. Well, of course, outside their borders, there was a group dedicated to damaging their Reich, the Jews, and they controlled America, the United States, France, and the Soviet Union. Continuing. This political foundation had to be established. Oh, did you want to say something, Bill? No, I, I just wanted to agree emphatically. All right. This political foundation had to be established if the government had any intention of dealing with the big problems of the day, if it was to do everything possible to deal with the specter of unemployment. The government had not only the intention to do something, it acted. 
It attacked unemployment with impressive measures. With God's help, it was able to do even more than it promised. Over two million people are at work again, and even the hard winter did not slow us down. Hold it, but I thought they wanted to take over the world. They should have attacked England and France, right? Instead of unemployment. They were attacking unemployment. (laughs) Go on. The entire world admires this accomplishment of the German people gained by our will and toughness. The world is just as astonished as it watches the German people fight hunger and cold. The first half of the battle has already been won. It fills us with pride that in this first National Socialist winter, no one, however poor and needy, has been left alone, that none of us, no matter how heavy our burdens, has gone uncared for through winter's cold months, that we have done our duty and need not fear anyone's gaze. Is it any wonder that courage, confidence, and optimism in growing measure fill the German people is not the flame of a new faith rising in the people from this sacrificial readiness. This people is noble, brave, generous, willing, and full of devotion under the care of a strong hand, and it may rightly believe that it is spotless and pure and that it has the blessing of God. While this talk of God, I I thought these were um, God-hating pagans. They should be talking about gods and Odin and Valhalla. What's going on here? I'm baffled. Right. The problem with the pagan paradigm is that Hitler and Goebbels were Christians, and so were most of the National Socialists. Well, then it seems the pagans have some problems either understanding history or accepting history. Well, well, they too drink Jewish Kool-Aid. Is there any reason to doubt that we will return this people to its place, its just place, among the nations of the world? We have had the courage to break with the unacceptable methods of international post-war diplomacy and claim the absolute right of the German nation to national honor and equality. We knew from the beginning that it would take a tough battle. Today we think we can say that we will win if we keep our nerve. The year 1933 ends under this happy sign. With nostalgia, we look back once again. It was a proud and manly year. It was a year of beginning and renewal, the first since the end of the war, of which we can say that it ended for Germany better than it had begun. As always, we stand at the helm even more firmly after the battle. The new year is before us, with its new challenges and tasks. Nothing will be given to us. We will have to seize it. Hard and challenging problems await us. We will need all our strength and intelligence to hold the ground that we have won, to increase it, to build on it, for only from it can we make the leap to a new territory. To new territory. And I'm a bit dismayed and disheartened that, you know, the National Socialists, basically 15 years from the end of World War I, it took them to come to power, where in America, depending where you want to measure from, you know, the Federal Reserve Act, the Great Depression, FDR, the New Deal, LBJ, we've had event after event after event after event, decades go by and nothing changes. There's no revolutionary movement. There are no masses mustering in the streets. There's no one. No one cares. No one does anything. And what few people there are are marginalized. They're considered fringe wackos or they're killed. And no one cares. Absolutely. No one cares because the Super Bowl is more important. Monday Night Football is more important. That the... um the, the basketball championships, the, NAA, the NCAA tournament, the, the World Series, it's all more important. Nobody wants to interrupt that, that their bread and circuses schedule to, to care about um, 
the the the, the wackos at the fringes. Meanwhile, their grandchildren are introduced to them, and their mulattoes and their great-grandchildren are a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and who knows what else. And they continue to believe everything that they see in the Jewish media. Everything. They believe it all. You know, I know he's a Jew, and back in the days I was in prison, I used to listen to Art Bell at night just for entertainment because you had to listen to something. If you didn't listen to something on the radio, you had to listen to 250 screaming niggers in the background. So, you, you know, it's a, a good practice and, and probably maintains your sanity to listen to anything on the radio. Now, quite often it was classical music. Sometimes it was rock and roll. And quite often it was Art Bell late at night. And I know he's a Jew, and, and I, I don't really care about television but one night, William Shatner was being interviewed. And Shatner said with all sincerity, and, and I kind of believe it because I've met people like this, that he would have people approaching him at, at conventions and in the streets and at public appearances. He would have people approaching him, asking him about all those places he got to visit on his TV show. That's, right. the, that, that's the mentality of the average American. They believe everything they see on TV. They thought it, he was traveling the universe in a spaceship and got to visit all those places? It doesn't matter if it's on the 6 o'clock news or an 8 o'clock sitcom or, or a 10 o'clock sci-fi adventure. They believe everything they see on TV. They don't realize that it's just it's the equivalent of reading a novel. Instead of reading a novel, you're watching a novel. Well, well that's what he asserted, and, and that, that's what he asserted his experience was, and Seeing enough of those people in person, uh, I believe it. That's, that, that there's a cross-section of Americans, a rather large cross-section of Americans, that do believe everything they see on television and in movies, that they live in an alternate reality. You've shocked me to the point of near speechlessness. Well, <laughs> it is what it is. Well, it, it's... Surprising, but not exactly shocking. I, I, I suppose it, it makes sense in the grand scheme of things. It makes sense. Would you like to um, wrap up the speech? Where are we? I'll just the comradeship of the people that has begun in so wonderful a way is not something that has found eternal root in German hearts. It is the foundation from which we will find the strength to bring a victorious end to the coming battle against hunger and cold, and then to begin in the spring a second great campaign against the unemployment that we will eliminate in the coming year. Now, see, Goebbels is talking in code here. When he says hunger and cold, he really means the British and the French. And when he says that they're going to eliminate unemployment, he really means they're going to holocaust the Jews. He means the Jews, right? <laughs> well, well that, that's right. I wouldn't doubt if somebody... Did some Jew didn't listen to this podcast and write on that at Veterans Today tomorrow. A major political problem in the coming year will be to give a new and organic structure to the Reich. Based on the firm ground of tradition, a reform must be implemented that will give the same unity to the Reich as to the people. The National Socialist idea and movement will fill both people and state for all time. Then we will be able to view our foreign problems with calmness. The people and nation stand on firm ground 
no power on earth can split them apart. Well, the power wasn't looking to split them apart. It was looking to destroy them completely. Absolutely. Well, that's what the whole Morgenthau plan was about. They weren't looking for an equitable, honorable end to the war. They weren't offering Germany a negotiated peace. The idea of insisting solely on unconditional surrender, that must have cost several hundred thousand allied lives. Wouldn't you imagine, Bill, on the British and American side? Yeah, you know, there is so much material out there that establishes that the Jews wanted the German people destroyed. They wanted the German people destroyed as soon as, well, well sooner, but, but it's evident that as soon as they, they lost the Weimar Republic to National Socialism, they wanted the German people destroyed. They, that they overtly wanted to destroy Germany. Right. How, how dare those um, uppity goyim rise up and cast off their Yiddish masters? Well, well, right, exactly. Set an example for the world. Well, if you're running a shop in Chicago and Al Capone says you're going to pay protection and you say no, he has to make an example out of you or every other shop on that street is going to say no. And the central banking system is a protection racket, right? And anyone who breaks from it is going to suffer a Bolshevik revolution or World War II. Or a democratic invasion. We're here for to make the world safe for democracy. Right. Well, if one country can get away with getting rid of the Rothschild Jewish Central Bank and they don't get completely destroyed and trounced and occupied, then the central bank cartel is going to be out in the street because every other country is going to see what they can do. And they're going to say, well, we can do that too. Well, well, that's the question that Americans should have been asking when the Olympics was being aired in the United States in 1936. But Americans didn't ask those questions. I, I presume, I don't know, I wasn't there to see it. Okay. The tasks before us are large and difficult, almost discouragingly so. Only our strong and fanatic faith will give us the strength to solve them. If the German people stay united and work together, it will master fate and build a new future. People never lose because of inadequate weapons, only through a lack of self-confidence and will. Let us then stand together and enter the new year with courage. The whole people should be confident of the government's thanks. Each of us is proud that we serve the people in a high position. We are all members of the people. We express its spirit and its will. The lowliest of our people is dearer to us than the king of another nation, and we would rather be the lowliest citizen of our nation than the king of another. This nation has displayed remarkable heroism both during the war and thereafter. Covered with scars, it has recovered from the blows dealt us by fate. It lives once more and will live as long as we faithfully affirm its life. No one has the right to become wary. Indeed, everyone is needed, each in his place. We know full well how much need remains in Germany, but we will never surrender to it. We do not stick our head in the sand, but rather we raise it high and offer it to fate. No one should lose courage. Only he who thinks he is lost is lost. Having citizens, having any nation... Any nation which has citizens, and, and I can't get, you know, America is not a nation, right? America is an empire. But any nation, meaning a, a group of homogenous, homogenous people, right? A group of the same race of people. Any nation that has citizens that live in desperation, 
that live in want, that nation it is is basically committing a grievous sin, right? Right. And when you talk about homogeneity, I'm assuming you're, you're of my view that ethnic is preferred, racial is okay. It's fine if you have you know Germans, French, and Italian all living together in one nation like Switzerland. It's not as unified as an exclusively German or exclusively French or exclusively Italian nation would be, but it's still a lot better off than a nation where you throw in Turks, Mestizos, Arabs, Mongolians. Well, well, right, exactly. But but the the proper term, the the proper definition of a nation is a people of one race living under of of what whatever form of government doesn't matter in a contiguous ge- ge- in a contiguous geographical area right. that proper nation is a people uh, a group of people all descended from the, the word natus means born right and nascio and and it's a group of people which have a common origin it's a group of people of one race living under one government, no matter what form of government it is, doesn't matter, and, and in a contiguous area. The, the, um, the, 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 a, a group of people of different races living under one government is an empire. That's right, an empire. Not a nation. No, it's not a nation. But but for a nation to have citizens living in poverty and desperation, that that's a grievous sin that that nation is committing. And, and Yahweh our God would not stand for that. Well, look at our so-called nation, the American Empire. While tens of millions of white people the posterity of the the forefathers, the founding fathers of this nation, while they're falling into poverty and hard times, we're spending trillions of dollars on wars, a military death machine, and we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to fly Somalian refugees here because we say Somalia is too dangerous for them. Absolutely. Bill, may may I inquire... um, do you have an opinion on what what skills do illiterate Somalian goat herders and refugees possibly have? What are they going to contribute to our nation in some meaningful context? Well, well, if they were really goat herders, the goat herders would be able to feed their fellow Somalians, right? Well, I, I guess they they lost all their goats. I, I don't know what former goat herders. Maybe they sold all their goats to buy that um, cocaine leaf they like to chew. That they'll be great at raping white babies. All right. Well, I, I I didn't think there was a demand for that. I mean, there are people in Granby, Missouri, and whatnot that specialize in that. Do we really need to import people here to do that? No, we don't. And at the it's, same time, well, I was just going to say at the same time, you know, engineers, doctors, farmers in South Africa, any white South African isn't getting in here. No, it's 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 a it's a damn shame. Well, it's an inversion. They say they want the best and brightest in America. White professionals in South Africa don't qualify, but illiterate cavemen that literally just fell out of a tree in Somalia, they're, they're, they qualify. They can come here. Probably shouldn't even call them cavemen. They're too stupid to realize when it's raining, you can go in a cave to get out of the rain. Well, well we've had a hypocritical government for at least 100 years. People oh, are 
television don't notice it. Instead of calling it a hypocritical government, let's just call it a Jewish government. Right. All right. In these last hours of the year, we join in humble thanks to the great God who gave us the gift of doing our work loyally and industriously. We ask his blessings for the coming year and promise that we will not be unworthy of his blessings. The year of revolution is over. The year of construction is beginning. We give our respectful greeting to the General Field Marshal and Reich's President Hindenburg, who in the past year was once more the loyal Eckhard of his people. May fate preserve him for us for many years to come. We give our loyalty and eternal allegiance to the Fuhrer, who never wavering bore the flag through storms and dangers. May he stay strong and healthy and complete his work. And I'm sure the Jews are going to say, oh, here's Goebbels hoping that Hitler lives long enough to complete his work of wiping out the Jews. Well, well, right, but his work was rebuilding and reunifying Germany and and building a Germany that was sustainable, right? He had to to, um, basically stitch back together a country that they'd torn apart in 1918-1919. I wish a happy new year filled with struggle and victory to all good Germans at home and to our brothers on the other side of the border. Well, here the, the, the Jews are going to feel left out then because this is only to good Germans. We will not fail if we have the courage to be stronger than the misery that once defeated Germany. The First World War, I believe he's referring to. Right, well, you know, if it wasn't for those November criminals and Hitler ranted against them during his trial, righteously ranted against them, Germany wouldn't have been sold down the river. When, when they saw the terms after the armistice, they should have invalidated the armistice and gone right back to the front. It was a bait and switch, though, like we said. The Germans were expecting Woodrow Wilson's 14 points. Instead, they got a Carthaginian peace. Well, right. They were expecting an honorable peace and, and an honorable armistice. That, that's what they fully expected. And um, that their biggest mistake was disarming. They never right. lost battle on German soil. It's, it, it's um, incredible what was done to Germany. Well, you know, the Allies didn't disarm while the negotiations were ongoing. The British kept the blockade, actually, um, the blockade of the Baltic and the German ports along the um, the North Sea. They kept the blockade until Germany signed the Versailles Treaty. Well, well there's, there's, there's a long list of crimes, right? There's a long list of uh, of English and American crimes where, where the sole benefactor were, were the Jewish bankers. And, and it's not going to end until... The return of our Lord Yahshua Christ and the disappearance of the Jew. Well, you know, the Jews have always hated the Germans, it seems. They tried to destroy Germany repeatedly. Can you say 315? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd agree with that, absolutely. And now we have Jews running around trying to defame the memory of Hitler and the National Socialists. Well, well, it's it's a campaign of, of education, right? And when the people are educated to um, in, in, in the Jewish version of history, that then the Jew is God, and, and 
the people are slaves. It, it's that simple. The truth shall set you free, right? Absolutely. Well, we have too many good Germanic people who hate the truth. So that their punishment will, will continue. And, and, and they don't even know they're being punished. They're slaves in their own nations. They don't know it. And it's particularly sad to see German-American identists following a Jew who takes every opportunity to defame and slander Hitler. Well, they obviously don't deserve the truth. Obviously not. Well, the truth isn't made for everybody. Okay. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is William Fink, Christagenia.org. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. And good night. Praise Yahweh. Thank you.